Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. To me, the opposite of, you know, the patriarchy sort of owning our sexuality is us owning our sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So often when I'm seeing women, they're like, well, I'm here because I want to want sex like for my partner. And I'm like, well, what about you? Like, don't you want to have sex for you? Don't you want to have orgasms and pleasure for you? You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 211. Today, we're talking about how to rekindle your sex life after kids with Sophia Ashley. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, dear listener. In just a moment, I am going to be sitting down for a very juicy conversation. So excited for this with Sophia Ashley, and she is a sexuality educator, certified sex coach, and founder of the Happy Vagina Project. She supports mothers to reclaim their sexuality and themselves after kids. And this is so important, right? Oh my goodness. You know, chances are that your sex life has drastically changed after you had a child. But today's podcast guest, Sophia, tells us that we don't, it doesn't have to be a desert out there. We can rekindle our sex lives and have mindful, empowered sexual experiences after kids. It takes a little attention and some love. I think this is so important. You know, this may seem to you that this is a little outside the realm of what we usually talk about here on the podcast. But I feel like part of us allowing ourselves to and and empowering ourselves to thrive, it it includes our sexuality, right? It includes our our peace of mind and our health and our wellness and our exercise, all those nice things. And sexuality is part of that. That's part of what helps us become grounded, well-rounded, thriving people. And, And I really think it is an expression of thriving to have a healthy sexual life, right? And so listen for some important takeaways that um, self-love is self-care and that boosts immune system and mental health, how mindfulness is a big part of coming back to our bodies and sexuality postpartum, and 
this really, really important takeaway to do it for you. Resentment can build if you're doing it for him and or for the relationship. So I think for both men and women and anyone in between, whatever you identify as, this is an important podcast to listen to if you're in a partnership and you're having and you want to have a thriving sexual life. So I'm so excited for you to join me in this conversation. Before we dive in, I just want to remind you that the spring retreat may or may not still have spots left. It is March 21st in Philadelphia. You can learn more at mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. And uh, the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge is coming up. We are going to be starting on March 24th, and it is to so in alignment what we're talking about with what we're talking about here on this episode. We're going to be talking about how insidious and harmful it is to ourselves and our children that mommy martyrdom piece. And I'm going to challenge you step by step to take steps to unmartyr yourself. And so that's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr, U-N-M-A-R-T-Y-R. It's totally free for anyone to join. And soon after that, I will be opening up my Mindful Mama Transformation group coaching program. And this is a high level, small group program. So uh, I'm very excited. It's a really transformative for the people who join. Um, would love for you to learn more about it. You can learn more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. Oh my God, that's so many things going on. But so it's the retreat. There's the unmartyr yourself challenge. And then group coaching is opening. I'm opening a spot. So if you have questions, you know where to find the answers. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com. And now I've talked enough at you about all the things going on, the ways to take it deeper past just listening to the podcast. And, um, but, but listen, this is going to be so good. <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoy. Let's dive into this episode with Sophia Ashley. Sophia, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you too. And I, you know, uh, you're a sex coach, which is so fascinating, and a mom <laughs> of a toddler getting into that age. So, just before we, you know, I'm I'm dying to talk about motherhood and sex. I think this is obviously a very like wonderful topic, um, <laughs> but just curious. I'm sure many of the listeners are curious, like, how does one get into being a sex coach? And like, you know, my, my, the story I'm telling in my head is that like, either you came from like a really repressed childhood or like, <laughs> or like a super like open one. Like, cause my parents actually, um, they met when they were like hippies in the 60s. They were both naked at a, someone's like outdoor sauna party. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, maybe that explains a lot about me. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just curious about you and how you came to this. Totally. Yeah. So I actually am just coming out of like a 15-year career as a communications, marketing, and small business consultant. Um, but I have been giving sex advice since before I was even having sex. So this is just something that I've always been interested and curious about. Um, I wouldn't say I talked a lot about it with my mom, but I definitely would say that she always created the environment that it was like safe to talk about these things. Um, and she would bring it up and constantly ask me if I needed to be on birth control yet. Um, and I was really blessed to have a solid group of girlfriends in late high school. And I mean, it's all we talked about was our relationships and what was happening. And I was actually like the, the late bloomer of the group. Um, I didn't have my sexual debut until out of high school, but was still a really active participant in those conversations. Um, but I would say the biggest thing that kind of propelled me into shifting my career and kind of transitioning everything was... I went to this business uh, retreat in New York um, several years ago now, I think almost eight years ago, and we were sort of exploring what our life purpose is, and um, she was asking, the coach was kind of asking us about all of our why me moments in life, those moments that you keep coming back to, like this thing, again, universe, like why am I always dealing with 
XYZ. And my XYZ was really around sex and orgasms and relationships. So I spent most of my 20s like on the grand quest for the holy grail of orgasm. I thought (laughs) I would never have one. So I spoke very openly about that with people. And I spent a whole year like at war with my vagina. I was constantly at the gyno in a lot of pain, UTIs, yeast infections, like you name it. Um, my vagina and I were not communicating very well. (laughs) And um, that relationship was very dysfunctional. And so out of that came this idea of like, oh, hey, like I love talking about sex. I love learning about sex and sexuality, which is that bigger kind of notion. And um, this seems to be like an energy that shows up in my life really consistently. So once I started to kind of explore that connection for myself, becoming a sex coach and educator just kind of seemed like a natural next step. So you have to have had seen the Netflix TV show Sex Sex Ed. That's one of my favorite. Every minute of it. (laughs) It's like one of the best shows ever. It's it's so fun. But yeah, you're like... uh, Oh gosh, I forget his name. Who it's like I think it's Oliver. I know I'm no, I'm like no, no, his no, name too. <laughs> but, <laughs> what is that? Well, it'll come to us like in 30 minutes. Totally. Um, but yeah, giving sex sex advice sort of before you're you're even having sex. So did you did you find your orgasm during the orgasm quest? <laughs> Um, I would, I, it wasn't until I started my sex coach training, um, and receiving the work that I, uh, now do with clients that I sort of found my orgasm. And mostly I realized I'd been having one. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to label it, didn't know how to word it. And of course there's many, um, varieties and flavors of orgasm. And so I just wasn't able to kind of explore that. I called a sex coach uh, after one particularly emotional session with a boyfriend who was like, okay, we need to figure this out. And she was like, you can come and sit on my couch and talk to me about how sexually repressed your parents were or whatever it is. But she was like, honestly, you just don't know how to have an orgasm. We have this notion. It's this like natural, oh, it just happens thing. Um, but there's actually a lot of uh, learning and intention and creativity that goes into um exploring how pleasure shows up in your body, really. So I'm still on my quest to explore new kinds of orgasms, but I definitely am like, okay, now I know what an orgasm feels like in my body. Um, And Hmm. uh, it's fun to kind of experiment with. And yeah, like with men, it's pretty clear, right? Like that's kind of, this is the model that we all have (laughs) in our head. Like there is a, oh my God, moment of release yeah. And so we have this notion in our head from from men, but women's orgasm is pretty different, right? You said there's many, multiple different kinds of of orgasm. So totally. can we go down this rabbit hole just a little bit? Like sure. what tell me a little yeah. bit about that. <laughs> So the reason for that, I mean, is a couplefold. One, I always say that um depending on the day and the moment and how you're showing up to sex, the experience and how pleasure is going to move in your body is always going to feel a little bit different. Um, But on a more physiological level, there are four different nerve pathways that innervate different parts of the genitals. Um, So there's like the pudendal nerve, which I believe connects to the clitoris. There's the vagus nerve, which connects to almost everything down there, the uterus, the cervix, um, the pelvic floor. Uh, there's the pelvic nerve and there's one other one I'm blanking on right now, but those four different nerves innervate different parts of the body down there. And they also create, um, they have connections to different parts of the brain. So if you're talking about sensations, if you're stimulating your clitoris, for example, specifically, that's one nerve pathway that's talking to your brain, tickling a different part of it. Whereas if you're stimulating the cervix or stimulating the G spot, or there's several other spots down there, there's the A spot and the P spot, there's your perineal zone. Yes, the anterior fornix erogenous zone and the posterior fornix erogenous zone. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get all nerdy about it. (laughs) All right, the A spot. Wait, wait, wait. The A spot. The G spot is like the is like the one that we've heard of. The right? Grafenberg, yeah. <laughs> the G is the Grafenberg spot, and then there's the A spot and the P spot. Yes. Okay, where are these different spots? <laughs> 
So the A spot anterior should be basically, it's like behind the G spot. So it's on the top wall of the vagina, Mm -hmm. but further back than the G spot. So the G spot's kind of that like one finger in and you kind of curl it up, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then your A spot is just further back along that top wall of the vagina. The P spot is basically directly opposite. So it's on the bottom wall, but fairly deep back as well. And then the cervix usually has a cluster of nerve endings. And many women find it painful um, if things go too far back there. And that's usually because there's a lot of, um, we hold a lot of emotions in our cervix. And so the um, muscles there can be quite tense and tight and that can create um, painful experiences. But you can actually have a cervical orgasm from stimulation of the cervix. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I know that, the, you know, there's obviously that women have very different orgasms from men, and they're very different um, sensations and things like that. And I can definitely, like... I guess we're getting graphic here a little bit today, friends. I'm just <laughs> very personal. Uh, I've definitely had experience of like multiple sort of like peaks during, yeah. and and that's great. And I'm like, I kind of feel like this like weird sense of like, yes, like okay, like, <laughs> I don't know, like things things are going well. Like this this is like great. So for for women who are maybe listening and and are you know, don't necessarily have access or whatever to a sex coach or, or just curious about this, like what, what can, can I ask you kind of what led to, what are the, what are the <laughs> things that, that, what was the magic formula for you? Ashley? 
Sophie? Um, I mean, for me, it's just a lot about like the book I would recommend anyone is mm. called Sherry Winston's Anatomy of Arousal or Women's mm. Anatomy of Arousal. So um, she goes through a lot of different exercises from, you know, looking at your mirror, your vagina with a mirror, but she also provides like the most detailed drawings I've ever seen of um, your pelvic bowl and how your organs are all sitting together. There's massive amounts of erectile tissue in the vagina and vulva. So erectile tissue being like a penis, it fills with blood. So that's kind of like when your labia, if it gets aroused, it will puff up. But it's not just your labia, your entire clitoris, which is much, much bigger than most people know. It's not just this tiny little nub. It has legs that go deep inside you and down along the side. Yep. Wait, down Um, along the side of like your legs or? No. So down along, you imagine it, you can imagine it like a little horseshoe. So there's the glands on top and the shaft um, because that would be what turns into a penis if um, um, inside the uterus. Oh, it's kind of like the proto-organism. Organi- yeah, we all start like out with like okay. female organs inside and then basically the clitoris grows and becomes a penis and the ovaries becomes um, the testicles, etc. Anyways, that's a whole side thing. But, <laughs> but your, your clitoris looks like a little horseshoe. So it has legs that go down along the side, kind of where your labia are in the inside. But then there's also legs that go back inside the body. Um, if you look, if you Google clitoris, you should see some pretty cool like images now because there's been like people making these 3D models out of them now. But there's way more erectile tissue than people know. Um, and there's actually something called the urethral sponge as well as the perineal sponge. And these are all spongy areas inside of your body that basically fill with blood, become engorged, and become more sensitive. So Sherry Winston's book walks through all of this. And it just kind of gives you a map to start to explore and go, hmm, what happens if I spend a bunch of time on my perineum or on the base of my vagina? What if I just were to stimulate that area for a little while and see what happens, see what kinds of sensations I have? Or what happens if I use a toy or a wand inside and I just start to explore mm, different areas rather than just you know, inserting something and kind of moving it around until I orgasm, right? So a lot of this mindfulness intention. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like being, bringing curiosity. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's about learning. And the other thing really to point out is like every, you know, body with a vagina is enervated very differently. So for some women, that's why like their G-spot might be easy to find because like they have more nerve endings there than somebody else, for example. So a lot of this isn't about, you know, looking at the guidebooks and being like, oh, okay, I need to find this exact orgasm. It's about understanding like the general layout of things and then getting curious about how it shows up in your specific body and what feels good for you. Wow. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like my mind has been blown. I quickly... (laughs) Googled the image of the clitoris and you're right. It's crazy pants. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The big thing to note here, right, is like nobody ever gives us this roadmap, right? We might get told about the clitoris maybe if we're lucky in high school. Oh, yeah. And we might discover some of these things on our own, especially if we're a naturally curious and kind of open and exploratory person. But most of us are pretty shut down about our sexuality. We might feel nervous about touching ourselves and really kind of diving in. So we sort of find something that works and we kind of stick with this sort of like bare minimum instead of really allowing ourselves to get curious about um, all the different potential that's down there. I mean, our bodies were literally designed to experience pleasure. And this leads to kind of what we wanted to talk today about, which is like how prioritizing your sex life makes you a better parent. And one of them just is like, if you're prioritizing pleasure, like self-love is self-care and you're stimulating all these wonderful hormones in your body, you're reducing stress, you are reducing tension in the body, you're boosting your immune system, and you're doing tons of really good things for your mental health when your sex life is active and fulfilling in a way that works good, well for you, right? So not by any sort of outside standards, but your standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
this is, you know, yes, I love this. Self, self-love is self-care, all of those things. I mean, it's true. Like when we feel, when we feel good, we're at our, our healthiest, whether that's like that feeling, you know, we talk about like a loving kindness meditation or something like that, that feeling of feeling very loving for someone. The research is showing that that is very good for us, right? That's actually like our mental health and our physical health, all that feeling of feeling good is really wonderful for us, which is great, you know, and and the feeling, the opposite of the feeling of stress is not great for us, really bad in a lot of ways. So it makes a lot of sense that that feeling of having an orgasm, of having a healthy sex life where you're feeling good, um, it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It would boost our immune system and our mental health and things like that. I mean, can, is the opposite true? Like if we're ignoring our pleasure, what, do you know anything about what happens in that case? Um, I mean, I don't know of any specific studies, but I would definitely say that there are things we can show. Like we know that many women are like 75% of women express, um, sexual dissatisfaction. We know that three out of four women will experience painful intercourse at some point. And we know that most parents report lower levels of relationship and sexual satisfaction after having kids, especially in those early years. Right. And I think the thing, the big thing about those statistics is they don't have to be facts and they're not a given, right? It's, it, your relationship doesn't have to um, suffer and be less satisfying after you have kids. It takes a different form and satisfaction in your relationship will look different after you have children. But if you give it intention and fuel and love, even in small ways, it doesn't have to be that way. So the things that I like to think about are, for example, I see a lot of women who are not in the mood, feeling a lot of pressure, either overt or just like imagined pressure from their partners to have sex because they know he wants it. They know it's a good outlet for him. This puts pressure and tension in the communication in the relationship. It leads to people feeling disconnected rather than connected, which has a ripple effect in how we communicate on the day-to-day, how kind we are with each other, um, how critical and judgmental we get, right? And overall can create a sense of like tension and stress in the house, but also it turns your relationship into something that could be a place of like safety and support into another thing to stress about, (laughs) Um, in particular in those early days when you're breastfeeding and sleepless and things are insane, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely in, in, in a partnered situation, when we're not thinking about our sex life and we're not thinking about our relationship connection, I would definitely say that it increases stress levels. Um, and it's not that like ignoring your sexuality at all is going to really create any negative effects. It's just, to me, it sort of leads to like, you're less connected to yourself. You have less of a sense of like vitality and aliveness and like pleasure in general. Um, you might feel more stressed or depressed or, you know, fatigued. Um, so there can be impacts. Sorry, I'm losing my voice a bit either way for sure. Hmm. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. So let's, let's look at that because, um, you know, after we have our first child, it's like a war zone down there. You know, you have a boo-boo the size of a dinner plate inside your body. Um, you you know, there's incredible healing that needs to happen. I mean, I remember for me after my first child, like I, you know, I had, you know, was too active too soon and I tore my stitches. And then, you know, according to my midwife, I had to act like a mermaid for the next week. And that was very fun. Um, So, and also after motherhood, you know, I just remember this feeling of like, I've got this baby on me like all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm my, like, don't even come near these breasts. Like, forget yeah. that. Like, don't even come near that. <laughs> but also just this feeling of like, especially with babies and toddlers, I think many women have this feeling that, you know, we're being touched so much. Right. Uh, it, it, the idea, even the mm. idea of touch can be really... Uh, can be not just, it just doesn't feel that like, I'm, I'm not super excited about that idea. So what do you say? I mean, how do we start to tell when it's time to initiate sex, when there, 
how to kind of rekindle our sexuality, maybe postpartum. Totally. <clears throat> so there's a few things that are happening. And I usually like to talk about um, the four quadrants or the four areas of change that we experience um, specific to our sexuality postpartum. And for me, postpartum is like, you know, one, two, maybe even three years, we could stretch it. And there's, there's almost like two different phases. There's a really early days. And then there's kind of, as things start to stabilize and figure themselves out, um, what does that mean in that period? So when we've had a baby, like you said, there's a whole bunch of physical changes. So we may be dealing with tearing and trauma um, on our vagina and on our vulva. Um, obviously, we're you know often sorry not obviously breastfeeding. Um, we might be in a lot of pain. We're definitely quite fatigued, and we may be experiencing stress and anxiety, especially when it's our first. Right? I had my first like eighteen months ago, and I don't think I quite had PPA or you know postpartum anxiety, but definitely I remember sitting and being like, there's these books about sleep and there's these books about sleep and these ones say this and these ones say the exact oh. opposite. Oh, no. and I'm just like crying in the middle of all these books. And my husband is like, have you read anything that's like not parenting related in the last 24 hours? You know. So there's a lot physiologically going, your hormones have changed. This affects um, your vagina, it affects your lubrication and it affects your libido. Your body actually actively suppresses your libido for about two years postpartum mm -hmm. to give you some space <laughs> um, so that you're not having another baby. And then emotionally, there's a whole range of things from, oh my God, I'm a mother now. How am I supposed to be a mother and a sexual person? How do those two things like equate? And how does my partner see me in all this? And I know I'm he just, he might have just watched you. He might have just watched you poop like while you were giving birth. Totally. <laughs> right. There is no more mystery. <laughs> so there can be a lot of what I call like brain gremlins, these like nattery judgments. Um, and sometimes there's new ones. So obviously there's all the old, like if you struggle with body image, your body may have changed a lot. Maybe you've gained some weight. Um, or things just look different, right? This is all like how we feel about what's happening to us and what's happening in our relationship. And, you know, we've totally lost our ground in terms of who we are as a human. And we're spending some time kind of refiguring that out. And that doesn't just happen, you know, three days in. Like it takes a while. Um, and then there's what I call sort of the cultural or societal impact. So um, the dynamics in your relationship might change in terms of like who's doing what chores and the like gender scripts might shift. And that can all of a sudden create some tension around like fairness and equality and what does that all mean? Um, and there's all this pressure around like, are you getting back to sex after six weeks? Like six weeks and you're good to go. So your husband's like, hey, babe, like, is it ready today? You know what today is, right? And most wives are like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not ready for this. Or there's pressure to be like having sex multiple times a week and like all this stuff. So those, that's kind of all the outside shoulds. I know Oprah had sex with Stedman three times a week. I remember. <laughs> I'm like, Did well, okay, that? yeah. that's, the, right. that's the standard. <laughs> so. so the big thing is, I think, you know, if we're talking early postpartum period, you haven't restarted yet. Biggest thing is like, please, 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 please see a pelvic floor physio, especially if you've had any tearing or trauma. But even women who've experienced C-sections will experience or can experience painful intercourse after baby because of um, all the strain on just the muscles and the entire bowl during pregnancy and labor, even if um, the baby came out of your belly instead. Um, so pelvic floor physio is huge just to make sure that all of your muscles are actually working properly and to address any scar tissue if you have any. And that's going to help to like minimize pain. I know I really delayed things for a long time, even though I didn't have a lot of tearing. I was just really nervous that it was going to hurt and I wanted it to be a nice experience and I was kind of loading it, you know? Um, so can I go ahead? So I mean, I know, I mean, maybe things are different in Canada. I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah. This is, Sophia's in Canada. In, <laughs> in the United States, basically, at least as far as I know from talking to many women, like the experience is, you know, whether, even whether you, you have a, you know, I had a, my child in a, in a birth center. So with midwives and things like that, 
still the experience was like, okay, like you're good. And there's no, often there's no suggestion to go to a physical therapist, a pelvic floor physical therapist. And it can be really hard to find one. Um, Speaking personally, what if you never did that and now your kid's like 13 years old? (laughs) Should you go and check it Um, out after that? I mean, it really depends. Like if (laughs) if your kid's 13 and you're experiencing painful intercourse or incontinence, then yes, seeing a pelvic floor physio would be really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're that far out and you're not, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Usually people go because they're experiencing incontinence, but I definitely say like, if you can, and if you can afford it, I would go see one regardless of how your delivery went. Um, yeah, but value definitely. this, this totally. sacred area of your body. Well, I, I like, wish I'd known. If you tore your Achilles heel, you would go see, um, a physiotherapist to massage it and support it and give you exercises in, um, North America in general, we're still slow to pick up on this, but it is happening. And there's a couple of, um, great online, um, pelvic floor physios. One I think is called the vagina whisperer. Uh, and I think there's another called the Vagina Coach. I usually I follow them on Instagram, and so they do a lot of videos and a lot of info uh, to support people around that kind of stuff. Um, in France, it's like part of the kit and caboodle. You have a baby, you go see a pelvic floor physio. <laughs> so it's coming along, but it's still something we have to pay for privately here. Um, although you may get some healthcare coverage for it, um, and it's something you have to know about. Like it's not typical for a doctor to refer here either. Um, but that's huge. It's huge. Especially if you tore really badly or had an episiotomy or you're dealing with scar tissue and like lumps and bumps and discomfort. Um, they are the masters of this area. They know all the muscles and how everything's all connected and, um, they support you to get back to full function essentially. Yeah. And I, I want to talk more about like the, our, our sort of marital sex life that happens. But, but I just got to say here, like, it makes me so annoyed that we're like, yeah. oh, you know, here's all this money for taking care of the baby. And like, too bad, mama, like, we're not going to be taking care of your, you know, your pelvic bull, forget it. You know, it's not yeah. even thought of. So anyway, just a little bit of a, a gripe there. Well, and I have so much empathy for moms in the U.S. I mean, I got a year off, right? Postpartum paid. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, Like when I hear stories of people having to go back two, three weeks, I'm like, I wasn't nearly a fully functioning human at that point. Like, I don't even understand how people can go back to work that early. It blows my mind. Um, And, you know, I had pain in my like sacrum for a while. And anyways, like, it's just crazy to me how much, how much lack of care there is for our mamas, <laughs> um, in those postpartum times. So seeing a pelvic floor physio is huge. The other thing is really to touch yourself, to masturbate. You don't have to look if you don't want to. And I don't often recommend it like right away after, cause sometimes it can be a little bit freaky. Um, things are going to look different for a little while. My babe's 18 months. I stopped breastfeeding three months ago and I'm just starting to feel like my vagina is like, Oh, there she is. It's like everything's back where it normally was, you know? Um, and that's because like your labia can get bigger during pregnancy and, um, during breastfeeding and things can be drier and just not kind of look the same. Um, but touching yourself is really about two things for me. One, this is all about like mindfully connecting back to that part of our body, right? And saying, hey, thanks. Like you just went through something super massive and you gave me this amazing gift and I love you so much for this. <laughs> and it's also about checking in and being like, hey, vagina, like how you doing? How you feeling? Are you ready to have sex yet? Are you interested in that or not really? Mm. Um, She'll tell you. I usually say like, let your vagina lead the way on this one. Mm. Um, And also it's good to um, get a lay of the land. So things may have, like I just mentioned, shifted a bit. Um, Certain stimulation that you used to enjoy, you may not enjoy. And that will be an ongoing evolving thing. So you might find, for example, that like, one week out or six weeks out, let's say like, I don't know, stroking your clitoris just doesn't feel good anymore. And then six months later, it starts to feel fine again. So part of this is about adopting a curiosity mindset where our body's in a heavy time of change for at least two years. And we just need to be constantly curious about how it's showing up today. 
I know for me, like where I normally stimulate my clitoris, I kind of had to like move to the left a little bit <laughs> um, and find a couple of different spots. And that just helps you A, make a little bit of peace, but B, um, if your partner is going to go down there a little bit blind because he doesn't know how things have changed, that can be a struggle and it can create a lot of frustration where he's like, well, I don't know. Your normal buttons don't work. And you're like, well, I don't know what works anymore either. Like you figure it out. <laughs> um, it can create some tension. So if you go down there and you get a sense of things, then mm. you're better equipped to say, hey, these things that used to work for me don't work anymore, but here's some new things that are working for me now, or let's figure it out together. The other benefit of masturbating or doing some self-love before you connect with your partner is it can be kind of an emotional experience. And sometimes we feel really safe to feel those emotions with our partners and, and sometimes we don't. So sometimes allowing yourself to have a little masturbation session and maybe you have a big cry and you just have the safety of like, I'm doing this alone and nobody's judging me or looking at me weird. I can just like touch my vagina and cry. <laughs> um, it sort of helps you kind of get rid of the emotional load. <laughs> I, I don't think a more feminine statement was ever made than that. I just, just go to touch my vagina. my vagina and cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also it... Um, um, it helps you to kind of assess what your pain levels might be too, mm -hmm. right? So if you're not sure if it's going to hurt, well, try putting your own finger in there and you will quickly know whether a penis mm -hmm. is going to hurt or not. And that lets you know, do we need to wait longer? Do I tell, need to tell my partner to go really slow? Like it's all about um, giving yourself information about how to proceed, okay. right? All right? And then the third step is definitely to... Do what you can to find the time and space to be intimate with your partner. Um, and there's lots of different steps to that. I usually say like just really making sure that at the very least there's an emphasis on um, connection and like flirtation where and when you can inject it. <laughs> um, so making sure that you're um, giving each other winks or making each other coffee or just those small loving gestures that make you both feel like you matter and like, you know, there's some tough stuff going on, but we've got this, we've got each other. Cause it's pretty hard to want to have sex when you're not feeling that. Mm. Um, so I'd say yeah. that's kind of the first piece. <laughs> so my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have. And he's done some things for it, but recently started using Nutrafol and Oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about and going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over one million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol's supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code MINDFULPARENTING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. Dot com promo code mindful parenting that's neutrafol.com promo code mindful parenting well hey there busy mama are you looking for ways to make your life easier your home less chaotic and at the same time add more joy to your life 
My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. That's interesting because I think about that and it's like, I I think literally the last text I sent my husband was like, get cod liver oil, please. Yeah. Uh, I, I can imagine that's, this is this step three. I mean, this might be the hardest step for, for anyone. I mean, if you have, anyone has small kids around, I mean, I talk to, you know, I, I teach parents how to make space for mindfulness practice. Yeah. That five minutes is hard enough. Like, and you're exhausted, you're not getting enough sleep. And, um, and then does sex start to feel like another to do? It um, can. Yeah, it can. How do you, yeah. How do we, how do we start to navigate that? Because I know that, uh, sometimes as I've gotten kind of more, I've gone through sort of waves of different things. And, and I remember at one point postpartum, I was like, well, I kind of want my sex life to be better. And so yeah. I just kind of said, I'm going to be say yes, kind of whenever like he initiates. Um, just, I kind of gave myself that challenge and I, that worked. That was very helpful for, for me anyway, you know, and yeah. I mean, I mean, that may not work for everyone, obviously, in every relationship for sure. But what are what are some ways for us to kind of get into that mindset maybe a little bit more or, or yeah. start to create that intimacy, be the other half of that intimacy again? Totally. I think a big part of it is trying to reconnect with, um, like a lot of resentment can build when we really focus on um, doing it for them right? Doing it because Mm -hmm. they're wanting it and needing it or doing it for the relationship only. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is remembering that, you know, ideally sex feels good for you (laughs) and it can feel good and it can be a nice and pleasurable thing. Um, And that connecting with your partner in that way can be a nice and pleasurable thing so that there's, you know, there is something in it for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other piece is really in small and larger ways, just remembering that um, when you invest in that, you're creating a stronger couple connection and you're making the rest of your life with this person easier, right? So it's very easy to fall into um, just becoming like business partners with this person. And often when I see people, you know, their kids are like six or seven years old and they really have not been you know, they've been ignoring this for a very long time. Um, they just feel like they have the best partner in the world. They, you know, they can plan a party with this person. They know how to do groceries and clean and all that stuff, but there's no sense of like fun or play or connection or like romance in their relationship anymore. And there's not a lot of sex because of that. Right. So partially it's remembering, yes, you're my logistical partner and like who's swapping off and who's getting the Tylenol and who's getting the diapers and whatever. And also just finding really small ways to like laugh together, (laughs) you know? And if you are feeling touched out, which is totally a thing, um, like remembering, finding ways to try to keep some in the tank. So Esther Perel, who you may or may not know, is a very famous relationship therapist, right? And she talks about how, um, again, like your, your relationship is the house your children grow up in, right? Mm -hmm. And they see from day one how you're modeling kindness and affection. And what can be really challenging is you're looking at your baby all day, you're snuggling them, you're eye-gazing. These are all things you used to do with your partner in a romantic situation, and you used to get dopamine and oxytocin from your partner when you were intimate with them, but now you get them from snuggling a baby all day. 
So part of that is just about being mindful. So like leave some in the tank for your partner when they come home, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially since they're feeling outside of that little duo that you guys are now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, practical tools, are, I think, are just like infusing when you can the fun, the pleasure, the laughter, um, developing a vocabulary for what makes you feel good with from your partner. And maybe it's not touch right now. Maybe it's other things like him getting you chocolate almond milk <laughs> and reading your mind because you knew you wanted it. Um, and the other thing that I say, and, and people often balk at this, but scheduling time to be together, whether it's sexual or not, is also really important. It's easy when we become parents to totally let go of the me time and totally let go of the us time and to totally prioritize our relationship with our child. And someone the other day was saying, yeah, you get that for the first six weeks, maybe six months, six weeks in particular, it's all about mommy and baby. (laughs) And then after that, it really is just about carving time to stay you, to rediscover you, and to make sure that your relationship stays your relationship. Because we often think that our children need to come first, but actually our partner needs to come first so that our relationship stays healthy for our kids. (laughs) It's kind of like you have to fill your cup in order to be able to give to other people. So you need to fill your cup and you need to fill your relationship cup in order to fully give to your kids. So scheduling sex, scheduling dates, finding a babysitter, like doing whatever you have to do to make that happen. And maybe it's like 20 minutes on your partner's lunch break. It doesn't have to be like a full evening, full blown thing. Um, Maybe it's like 10 minutes after the baby goes to bed and you just go, Hey, and you like make eye contact and (laughs) give each other like a full six second kiss and share how your day was and then move on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always have to be these like huge grand gestures or like a two hour epic sex date or <laughs> anything like that. It's often just these small things. Yeah. I mean, it sounds I mean, it's amazing. Kind of what you're saying. It sounds like a lot about, you know, what I talk about a lot on here, you know, in that, in that your needs, you're saying your needs, including your sexual needs and your relationship needs, um, they are just as important as your child's needs. Totally. And we, you know, you're, you know, you, what you're saying in not so many words is to fight off that martyrdom mindset that our culture wants to push on us yeah. and be a whole and complete woman, yeah. um, as a mother, because I mean, I mean, really that's the modeling that our kids need. This whole idea of yeah. the mommy martyr is an old, outdated, um, harmful, um, idea anyway, that is, that's not helping anyone. So I like this after six weeks to six months, kind of give yourself some time to, to focus in on this like miracle that has come out of your body, which is amazing. Totally. And then remember that you do need time to, to be you, to stay you, to connect with your partner. And it's really true. I mean, not every relationship is going to stay, stay together. That's true. But if you are going to stay together, this is the foundation. You know, this is the best gift you can give your kids is our parents that stay together and are connected and love each other. Like that's a, that's better than, than all the time playing Candyland that you could possibly give. (laughs) And the worst, you know, I see people either because they're preventative, right? Their kids are one or two and they're going, we're not having sex a lot. My husband's not really pressuring me. He's sort of chill about it, but I can tell that it's this unspoken thing. I don't really enjoy it a lot when we do it, which creates this downward spiral of not wanting to do it because it's not very great when it happens. I don't want to be divorced when my kid is six because we're strangers. Like I don't want to be that person. Mm. Or I see people who are six, seven years in who are like, This was a small problem we were kind of ignoring, and now it's a major thing. And the other connection here to me is, you know, your sexuality is so embedded in who you are. It's about how you think of yourself as a woman. It's how you express yourself in the world. It's about how safe you feel walking around in the world with boobs and a vagina. And 
it's about how you feel about your body and how you love your body um, and how connected you are to yourself. So when we ignore it, uh, we're ignoring a deep part of who we are at our core. And we set that model for our kids too, that like this is not something that needs to be important. Or we model, um, you know, it's like, the more we are connected to our partner, the more we're having better sex, the more we're connected to our own body, the better we're feeling about our body, right? So I want to be modeling to my daughter, a woman who's full of vitality and energy, not all of the time, <laughs> you know, I'm a human, um, someone who's comfortable in her skin, someone who's comfortable um, asking for what she needs, someone who knows what she needs and knows how to tune into her body. And great sex or learning how to have great sex teaches us those skills, um, just like mindfulness does too, right? So you're going to have way better sex if you know what you need and you know how to ask for what you need without shame or guilt. And those skills translate into all aspects of your life, not just your sexuality. Yeah, yeah. It's about empowerment. You know, this this episode will come out whenever it comes out, but we recently just had the Super Bowl at at the time of recording this. And there's been a lot of controversy about um, J-Lo and what is her name? Shakira's halftime show. And it's interesting because there are are people from like another generation of feminism who say, we did all this to have this, like Mm -hmm. pole dancing and stuff like that. But I kind of want to push back on that saying that, this idea that, you know, I mean, yes, like the patriarchal culture objectified women's sexuality, but the, the healthy version of that is not repressed sexuality is not us becoming, you know, uh, unsexual beings like, but actually, um, being able to embody and, and live our lives as powerful, empowered sexual beings, uh, and take that part of our lives seriously, which so I appreciate in a lot of ways the work that you're doing because this is saying the same message that this matters, like your pleasure matters, your body matters, um, mm-hmm. how you feel matters, and it, it not only affects you, but there are all these wonderful ripple effects out in the world. Totally. And to me, the opposite of, you know, the patriarchy sort of owning our sexuality is us owning our sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So often when I'm seeing women, they're like, well, I'm here because I want to want sex like for my partner. And I'm like, well, what about you? Like, don't you want to have sex for you? Don't you want to have orgasms and pleasure for you? And it's kind of that like transactional feeling that women can often sort of subconsciously be railing against, right? Mm -hmm. This is not mine to enjoy. So I don't want to give it to you. Mm. Um, because you're kind of taking it or you're kind of demanding it. And even if you have the sweetest partner in the world, it's more so like the culture that we live in (laughs) wants it, right? And that's part of this idea of how it can often feel very unsafe, again, at a subconscious level to be walking around as a woman in the world, right? You have all these sort of like paper cuts, (laughs) people looking at your boobs too long, people making comments about your smile, like all these little paper cuts that really get to how safe it feels to be a woman. And the other thing is, and why I started this work is pretty much every kind of repression that women experience is sexually related. Like people want to have opinions about our uteruses and what's growing in them and whether we should have opinions about that. People um, want to control our ability to control our reproduction. People have opinions about how we dress and what we do and how we show and we can be too sexy and we can be not sexy enough. And like, there's just no winning, right? It's true. (laughs) So this is all about saying, I have a body. I'm a woman. This body was designed to give me pleasure in many different ways from eating Mm -hmm. a delicious strawberry to having an orgasm or experiencing a tickle. (laughs) Um, I get to own that and claim that and do it on my own terms. And the other thing in all this is it's about creating or crafting with intention, a sex life with your partner that feels good for you both. And maybe that looks like sex once a month. Who knows, right? If that feels good for you both, great. Um, and oftentimes that's all you get for the first little while. So again, if we get back to this postpartum space, no pressure to be having a pre-baby sex life anytime soon. Like most people don't start having sex until about three months. 
most people are having sex less than once a week or a couple of times a month for the first year. And that's because it's pretty hard to make it like a super regular thing. So what I say is it's this fine line between like, don't pressure yourself and make it another huge stress, but don't completely ignore it either. Hmm. Can you give some intention and love to this energy? Keep trying and experimenting without making it so hard you want to give up and shut it down. And don't forget about it because if you leave it too long, it just makes it that much harder to get started again, right? So you're trying Mm. to kind of walk this middle path. Yeah, Um, the middle path. I love that. I love the middle path. (laughs) Um, Sophia, this is wonderful. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I'm I'm glad that you've you left marketing and, and got into <laughs> got into <laughs> me into too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, a lot of wonderful gems here. There's probably so much more we could talk about. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, you you said you have a uh, a special a special gift for the mindful mama audience. I do. So I share that with them. Yeah, so folks can head to the Happy Vagina Project uh, com backslash Mindful Mamas with one M, and I've got two gifts there. One is my Reset Your Sex Life After Baby mini course. It's three super short videos. They apply whether you are just out of the gates post delivery and you haven't had um, sex yet. Or if you've been at this a little while and things are kind of feeling lackluster. So I go through my sort of five-part framework on um, what to do and how to move forward. And I also have a link to my Naked Sexy Fun Times guide, which is the playbook for how to schedule a successful um, sex date. And I mean, low pressure sex date. So maybe there's intercourse, maybe there's not. It's great to have a Naked Sexy Fun Time as your first um attempt at intercourse post baby. And it's also a great reset button. So I talk about how to um, create a space that's going to turn you on and support you to have fun and mostly just create a really positive experience. So your body goes, oh, hey, that was fun. Let's do more. (laughs) I love that. The naked, sexy, fun times. And you can also, we will put a, a link to this um, in the show notes for this episode. So if you are awesome. listening on your phone, you can often like kind of click on the image or something in your podcast player and it'll flip over and show you the show notes and you'll be able to uh, grab that link there. And also of course at mindfulmamapodcast.com. Um, Sophia, thank you so much. I'm so glad to talk to you. uh, You're clearly keeping it warm up there in Northern Canada. (laughs) I guess I'm warmth emanating out of Sophia's house. (laughs) Do all my best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been great. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Wow, so much in here. Maybe some things that sparked some thoughts, some conversation. I hope it sparks something for you and your partner if you have one. Uh, So valuable. Um, And I think that is really is mindfulness is a big part of this. So before we, before I leave you, I want to just remind you that there's a lot going on. You can take it beyond the podcast. We, if there's some, still some spots, you can meet up with me in person at the retreat at mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. You can learn more about the March 21st retreat. And I encourage you to, if this episode has sparked something in you that you want to take further, join the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge. It's a really great way to enhance our well-being beyond being just mom. And that's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. We're going to talk about how to communicate better with our partners and how to get rid of the guilt and that whole insidious mindful, not mindful, unmindful, uh, just kind of stuck in there, unconscious martyrdom idea that we have. It's so frustrating. Uh, it holds us back in so many ways, but our, you know, our kids really need us to be whole, healthy, thriving people. That's really one of the best ways that we can be more present for them is for us to be thriving. And, you know, as we 
we give more conscious, compassionate attention to ourselves, our relationships, we can be more compassionate and, and aware and, and, and that grounded, happy presence for our kids that's, that we'd love to be. So um, I hope you'll join me in the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge. It's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. And my group coaching is opening up soon. I have limited spots. It's a high level group coaching it is so valuable. People in, get so much out of this intensive period of working on your own thriving, on your motherhood, on your relationships, and on your self-understanding really grows in enormous ways. And it's a five-month experience. It's at, you can learn more at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. All right, enough stuff I'm telling you about, but I'd really love it for you to take it beyond the podcast. You know, if these things that we talk about are important to you, if mindfulness, if thriving, if, you know, all of these things that help us become better parents are important to you, it's really takes some some investment of our time and energy and attention it, it can be really really valuable and pay enormous dividends throughout the future i i know that for sure so um if you have any questions reach out to me if you'd enjoyed this episode let me know um you know if you think it's valuable share it with your friends all that stuff but really you i thank you so much for listening for inviting me into your ears and into your life whatever you're doing, folding laundry, going for a walk, whatever it is. Um, and I wish you a beautiful, peaceful, thriving week, my friend. Namaste. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.